Tendinopathy 101, the first lesson here with Talking Tendons. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, and smarter runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am the guy to reach out to when you've finally decided enough is enough with your persistent running injuries. I'm a physiotherapist, the owner of the Breakthrough Running Clinic, and your podcast host. I'm excited to bring you today's lesson and to add to your ever-growing running knowledge. Let's work together to overcome your running injuries, getting you to that starting line and finishing strong. So let's take it away. struggling to come up with a way to introduce today's episode um, during the intro because what it has on my sheet is Talking Tendons 1, Tendinopathy 101, and (laughs) just leads to confusion. Hopefully that made sense. Let me just break it down now. We are doing a Talking Tendons mini-series, and this is the first of that Talking Tendons mini-series, and the title of it is called Tendinopathy 101. I could have been a bit more creative because it sounds a bit silly when I say it out loud, but hopefully when it's written on your phone, when you download the episode, it looks a bit more appealing. Anyway, so let's move on. Welcome to the mini-series. If you are a new listener, be sure to um, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. This podcast um, brings out episodes any day, any time. It's just whenever I feel like I've recorded an episode and I've published it and I feel like it's good to go, it's just going to go out. I'll make sure not to publish multiple on one day and give you a chance to listen to it before another one comes out. But if you subscribe to the podcast, it automatically downloads on your phone and it's ready for you to listen when you have the time. So makes it easier for everyone. Why have I decided to discuss tendons? Well, it is a very common condition and applies to several different body parts. And if we learn these uh, key principles when it comes to tendinopathy, the same principles can apply to any tendinopathy you have throughout the lower limb. And I also have booked in um, Peter Maliaris to be interviewed next week. I understand that some of my interviews don't go according to plan, like last minute, sometimes it changes, sometimes we are busy or our schedules change and it might not be recorded when planned, but uh, I'm crossing my fingers and hopefully that schedule stays there. That way I can bring out these talking tendons one, two and three, and then we can interview Peter Maliaris for tendons, for talking tendons number four. And it'll all come together really nicely. So that's the reason why I started this mini-series. And I wanted to first discuss uh, terminology. And there's a couple of different terminologies that are thrown around out there in the running world. And that being tendinitis, tendinosis, and tendinopathy. And so a tendinopathy, like if you were to look it up on Google, it says it's a disorder that results in pain, swelling, and impaired function of the tendon. Tendinosis, on the other hand, describes a bit more of a chronic condition, and it's when there's a bit of degeneration in that um, matrix in the structure of the tendon. So if a inflamed, impaired, irritated tendon um, has that condition for a long period of time, the actual 
cellular matrix and the uh, structure of that tendon can start breaking down. So that's uh, tendinosis. And then we have this tendonitis, which is a bit more of a obsolete term. Like itis usually means inflammation and it's debatable whether most of these tendons that are reactive actually have inflammation um, presenting there. There's some literature say that there is a little bit, others saying there is none. So it's up for debate, but the term tendinopathy is most commonly used in physiotherapy today. And so that's what we're mainly going to be using moving forward. Jill Cook and Ebony Rio have this um, tendinopathy or tendon structure continuum. And it's kind of like a, a model where you have um, certain conditions or certain levels of irritation that the tendon goes through throughout its life cycle if it is undergoing a reaction or if it is overloaded. And if you can imagine this continuum starting with a healthy tendon where there's no uh, function impairment and if you're running at a comfortable dosage and all the tendons are happy, you then have a healthy tendon. If you overload that with excessive load, it then becomes a reactive tendon. And so this heads down the continuum. So it goes from a normal tendon to a reactive tendon where it becomes painful. Further down the continuum, you have disrepair, which is kind of like this tipping point. Are you going to start recovering that tendon or is it going to move further down that continuum to a degenerative stage? Now, the degeneration signifies structured damage and signifies um, cellular matrix dysfunction, which uh, most research will indicate it is uh, irreversible or very, very hard to reverse the condition and the health of that tendon. So the further you go down this continuum, the more permanent the effects are, you could say. The nice thing is if you head down this continuum and you start to be, have this reactive and even disrepair phase with the right management and loading it adequately, you can reverse all of that damage and all of that irritation back to a healthy tendon. It can revert back to a healthy tendon if it's taken care of. If it heads down to that degeneration phase, yes, the there are certain parts of the tendon that are irreversible that structure damage has occurred but that's not to say it can start to become a pain-free fully functioning tendon what you're doing in that rehab is you are strengthening and building up the function of the healthy parts of that tendon so if it goes into that degenerative phase only a certain part of that tendon becomes degenerative you still have a healthy bulk of that tendon that can uh, still be healthy and can still be really, really strong and resilient. We're almost bypassing all that degenerative part of the tendon and utilizing that healthy part as much as we can, building it up. And as you build that up, you can return to a pain-free, fully functioning tendon. I hope that makes sense. The analogy some people like to use is like a donut. You have the hole within the donut, which can be the degenerative part of the tendon. And then you have around the hole of that donut is the healthy part of the tendon. So we want to treat the donut, not treat the hole. That is a common analogy by uh, really don't like people envisioning like they have a hole in their tendon. 
just my personal preference. If you do have that degenerative phase, yes, you can return back to fully functioning pain-free, like I said. However, it does leave you more prone to a tendinopathy in the future if it's not looked after really, really well. Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. So I hope that makes sense. Let's move on to some common sites of a tendinopathy for runners. The first one you have is your Achilles, and that can be broken into a mid-portion Achilles or a insertional Achilles problem. We'll discuss that a little bit um, down the track. You also have your patella tendinopathy, which is just under the kneecap. Uh, not very common in runners unless you're doing a lot of like hill sprints or a lot of speed work, or if your patella tendon is quite weak to start with. Patella tendinopathy is a lot more common in, say, jumpers, like a volleyball player or a basketballer. We also have um, a gluteus tendinopathy, which is on the outside of the hip, can be quite common, especially later in age, especially for females. They seem to be more prone. And then we have a, a high hamstring strain, which or a high hamstring tendinopathy, which is also quite common, particularly for someone who's developing a lot of speed and a lot of heel work. Uh, some less common tendinopathies that I can think of would be, say, a tibialis posterior, which is on the inside of the ankle, just as that ankle bone, um, just behind that ankle bone. Your psoas, which is like deep in your hip, and your pes anserinus, which is not really common. I have it while well, I've had it in the past, which is unfortunate, but it is more the inside of your knee. So those are some common areas. And in Talking Tendons 3, I'm going to be breaking down some specific conditions and how you would go managing and treating what some of the most common areas. But for today's episode, Tendinopathy 101, I thought I'd just break down some real key concepts that applies to any tendinopathy. So the first thing I want to discuss is why do we get a tendinopathy? Why do these tendons uh, undergo a reaction, become sore? Uh, and if you've learnt anything from previous lessons, you might think, okay, one would be an overload. If, if we've discussed our adaptation zone in the past, it is when we have exceeded our adaptation load. So um, that's the first thing I've wrote down. So in this, why do we get tendinopathies? I've got three points. The first one being overload and fits right in with our adaptation model that we've discussed in season one and throughout. If you exceed that capacity, the tendon's going to undergo a reaction. And this overload can be in regards to one session. Say if you do sprint work, but also do hills on the same day, those two factors combined can put, like say, the Achilles tendon at a significant overload and puts it at risk of undergoing a reaction. So it can be overloaded in one session, but it can also slowly be overloaded over a week or several weeks. And so that's when planning your training structure is really important. So you might go from training three days a week 
with uh, one or two days recovery in between and then the following week do three consecutive days. Maybe you've changed your weekly structure. Maybe your work hours have changed. Maybe you're on holidays and you've got time to do all these things. So if your routine changes to uh, training on three consecutive days, that might not be enough time for that tendon to recover and it's going to undergo a reaction over that week. Like I said, for the Achilles, some common training errors would be doing hills or doing a lot of speed work. If you have, if we can consider the patella tendon, it is uh, jumping usually that gets it. So if you're at the gym and doing, say, box jumps or if you're doing um, split lunges or um, some plyometrics, that sort of thing, and a hamstring would be a threat, again, if you um, do a lot of speed work or if you're running downhill, really the faster you go, the more and more your hamstrings need to kick in. If your hamstring tendons can't tolerate that speed, you're putting at risk of undergoing a reaction. So that's the first step of why we get tendinopathy. The second one I want to talk about is compression. So if you can imagine as these um, tendons attach onto the bone that's what makes it a tendon a tendon is the muscle the muscle belly Uh, as you move down that muscle it becomes a tendon as it becomes a tendon it attaches onto the bone so it's that anchor point for the muscle and if you can imagine most of these tendons as they attach onto the bone they kind of wrap around a bony prominence that's on the bone and it's that wrapping around of the bone that can cause compression if that tendon is put under load. I hope that makes sense. And a lot of the emerging evidence over the last 10 years now is that putting that tendon under compression, either for a sustained period of time or during bouts of heavy load, puts it at more risk of developing these tendinopathies. An example of what uh, might cause a compression your high hamstring strains and your high hamstring tendinopathies, that tendon actually attaches onto your sitting bone. And if you follow your hamstring all the way up the back of your leg, uh, you can, if you're sitting down, you can appreciate the, um, the weight that your body is putting on your sitting bones. Your tendon actually wraps around your sitting bone and attaches just onto that sitting bone. So as you sit, if you're sitting in, on a firm chair or on the floor, if the more weight you put on those sitting bones, the more it's actually creating compression for that tendon. A similar thing can be said for your Achilles. If you have an insertional Achilles tendinopathy and you're putting your foot in a lot of dorsiflexion, so dorsiflexion being when you point your toes up, that can lead the tendon to undergo more compression. So if you, say, change your running shoes and your stack height or your the height of your heel was, say... 10 mil and it's now changed to a zero heel drop so um, zero mil it's putting your ankle into more of a dorsiflexion and putting that Achilles into more compression we'll talk about this concept in terms of management a little bit further down the track but we're not only just talking about your training overloads we're talking about compression throughout the day as well so things like the type of shoes you wear if you're crossing your legs if you're sitting for long periods of time if that tendon is stirred up, it's these daily positions and daily tasks that you do that undergoes a bit more compression can significantly influence your management and your recovery moving forward. 
The third point I wanted to discuss about why we get these tendinopathies is uh, basically lack of recovery and reducing the tolerance, the ability for your tendons to tolerate load. And I've discussed this before, and I've discussed this in um, the Stress Less episode back in uh, Season 1. There are certain factors throughout your life that can influence your tendon's ability to tolerate load and essentially recover. And these things being sleep, being diet, being stress, um, even some like supplements and vitamins. I know there's research to say that vitamin C could be a major contributor uh, to the prevention of tendinopathy and promote tendon healing due to its role as like an antioxidant. While um, vitamin D has been shown to increase collagen structure, so it helps build up that um, tendon structure. And there's also lysine, which is an amino acid that plays a major role in collagen synthesis. So all of these um, vitamins and minerals can actually influence your tendon's ability to recover. So we want to recap. Why do we get these? One, it's the overload. Hopefully you know a lot about this overload concept Um from past episodes two being the compression this is kind of a new concept that i've added in haven't really talked about this much but we'll talk about it uh further down the track and three being the lack of recovery and reducing the load tolerance these three factors play a huge amount a huge like significance in why we get tendon pain and contribute to the the management and recovery of these tendons I thought I'd also mention some risk factors for tendinopathies. Um, So there's uh, some research out there. I just had a look at a couple of things and these common factors being one is your age. Usually if you're more advanced in age, you could say you're more likely to sustain a tendinopathy and that being just your tendons become less rigid and less able to recoil and respond well to high loads the other being your bmi which is just pretty much how heavy you are compared to your body type if you can imagine when you are running if six to eight times your body weight is going through your achilles every step you you run the heavier you are the more tendon load goes through that tendon even just as much as putting on five extra kilos can be so, so significant when you times that by your body weight and times it by six to eight times. That's a huge jump. And then if you do that every single step, you can see that the accumulative load will uh, put the tendon at threat of exceeding that load capacity. The other being um, high cholesterol and hypertension seems to be a risk factor for tendinopathies. Diabetes, uh, taking some medication. I know uh, antibiotics and non-steroidal anti-inflammation drugs and statins, like all of those seem to be linked with tendinopathies. I know long-term NSAIDs, anti-inflammation tablets taken over a long period of time can compromise those tendons' ability to tolerate uh, load. Hormonal changes, uh, women approaching menopause can seem to or seem to have a risk factor for this. Genetics seem to be a, a link. And these can usually be flagged if, say, uh, you have bilateral tendinopathies, say if you have Achilles tendinopathy on both sides, 
we might start to look at things like diabetes and the uh, if you're taking any medications and if you are going under any hormonal changes because it does raise a few flags if you are getting it on both sides. Like I discussed in season one, um, I just wanted to relay this message as well. We're not heavily relying on biomechanics when you're running. We used to believe that like there's a lot of bowing of tendons and if they're not well aligned, it can be a threat to the tendons. But uh, it's less of an importance now. We're now knowing that there's not a lot of relevance and there's not a lot of links between poor biomechanics and developing these tendinopathies. There are a small percentage of runners who may benefit from gait retraining and altered biomechanics to offload certain tendons in certain conditions. Uh, but keep in mind that the three points we discussed before, the, that load, compression, and those factors that uh, influence the recovery to tolerate load far outweigh the significance compared to biomechanics. In my experience, I have had patellar tendinopathy in the past and purely from a lack of uh, pre-season training, I was playing basketball, I was playing um, quite high-level basketball and during the off-season didn't really do much and then got straight back into tryouts and pre-season training, which is really, really hard work. They grind you to the ground because that's when you need to improve on your fitness a lot. And then throughout the season, it's all just skills and drills and plays and that sort of stuff. And so my tendon couldn't handle it. I had a sudden spike after having a couple of months off of doing hardly anything, going into these hard sessions and looking back on now was an obvious overload. And yeah, I was struggling with that tendinopathy for most of that season. I was also very unlucky, as I discussed at the start of the episode, to have a persistent pes anserinus tendinopathy. Um, it still comes and goes here and there, but um, as long as I manage my load very carefully and plan it all out, it seems to stay away. I've also, in the past, had a high hamstring tendinopathy doing my first season of triathlons. I was going from running a marathon, so really high mileage but kind of slow to then trying a triathlon which is a lot shorter so a lot faster you're, you're incorporating a lot of sprints but it's also the combination of going really hard on the bike and then getting off and trying to run as fast as you can for four to ten k's so it's those um, that speed work even though my body was tolerating a marathon distance really well introducing that speed work was enough for my hamstring to undergo that tendon reaction so we're bringing this episode to a close let me just uh, do a little bit of a recap so tendonitis the terminology um, we're not using that so much anymore so we can take that out of our vocabulary and put in this tendinopathy and use this tendon structure continuum so we have that reactive tendon that goes to disrepair and then degenerative you can restore the healthy parts of that degenerative tendon to fully restore but if you catch it before it gets into that degenerative stage and work its way back up that reactive phase to a normal healthy tendon is obviously a lot better for you we have those 
three components of why we get a tendinopathy, that being overload, so training errors, doing too much too soon, too fast, change in shoes, change in terrain, all all those factors. The second being compression. So depending on the tendon, it could be things like sitting, crossing legs, changing your shoes, sleeping on, uh, say, your hip, and compressing that tendon, all those sort of things throughout the day. And then the third being that lack of recovery, that uh, reduced ability to tolerate load and being all the factors such as poor sleep, poor diet, increases amount of stress, and a couple of those uh, vitamins and minerals that I was talking about. And as another takeaway, we're not heavily relying on biomechanics as a cause of your tendinopathy. It can be a part, it can be 10% and some gait retraining can be really beneficial for a small percentage of people but the points and discussions talked about before account for every tendon and is 80 to 90 percent of what you need to focus on when it comes to a tendinopathy so that's the episode talking tendons too (laughs) Um, next time we're doing a tendinopathy rehab and prevention and so another overarching concept that applies to all tendons But now we understand why we get these reactive tendons. What can we do for rehab and what can we do for prevention? So I hope you're looking forward to that one. We'll finish up there. I hope you're enjoying your run today. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Running Smarter Podcast. I hope you can see the impact this content will have on your future running. If you want to continue expanding your knowledge, please subscribe to the podcast and keep listening. If you want to learn quicker, jump into the Facebook group titled Become a Smarter Runner. If you want tailored education and physio rehab, you can personally work with me at breakthroughrunning.physio. Thank you so much once again. And remember, knowledge is power.